Hey, this is the last coffee house. The last one was short. Sorry about that. <laughs> I thought I had more to say about that. This one, however, is best of literature. It is Demons of the Demons by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky is one of the first major authors I ever read, Crime and Punishment. And this book I actually read a while ago. It's got like a thousand pages. I have my notes from having read it at that point. I have all my quotes and everything that I highlighted all the way throughout. So I went back through all those. I read some articles about it to make sure I was remembering what happened. I still, in my brain, can't really put the whole plot together during the book. So that's an issue. But I'm going to reread all of them that are under a thousand pages. I'm going to reread them as I go back through because like I said I'm well ahead when it came to the reading so I was going back and rereading the ones that I'd already read when it came to the episode now I'm just so anyway this is where we are we should have a good idea going through this what this book is about see if it interests you and get a better idea of where literature has been but this one the demons published in 1872 it was initially published in Russian of course it was published in English in 1916 it's loosely based on news stories about student groups that were kind of influenced by western and liberal and socialist ideas and notice the the time it was published 1872 this is what about 40 years a little more than 40 years before the russian revolution so it presaged that to the point that a lot of commentators reviewers would later say that it was prescient that it saw the whole russian revolution thing coming so anyway the the title's actually interesting it's been translated into multiple things the demons is my favorite version of the title. I think because it just is the best reference to the thing that inspired the whole book, as far as I know. Other titles include The Devils and The Possessed. I saw somebody criticizing The Possessed as being the wrong way around. It makes the subject the wrong thing when it's called The Possessed. But I like The Demons. I think it's a cool, cool name. But Dostoevsky, uh, he alluded to the inspiration of the novel being the Gerasene demoniac in uh, the Gospel of Luke. Was that just in the Gospel of Luke? I thought that was in that was in Mark too. What are you talking about? But maybe he likes that particular formation of it. In the letter, he says something about exactly the same thing happened in our country. The devils went out of the Russian man and entered into a herd of swine. These are drowned or will be drowned, and the healed man from whom the devils have departed sits at the feet of Jesus. So that's a very optimistic view of what happens with the demoniac in the Gospels. Anybody who is not familiar with the story, it's when there's this crazed demon-infested person, possessed person, who's terrorizing an area, and Jesus shows up with his band of misfits and casts the, or tells the demons to get out of the man, and he sends them into a herd of swine. The herd of swine goes crashing down a hill into the water and commits suicide. So, it's actually based on a sequence in the Odyssey. <laughs> if you have seen uh, what's-his-name's book, I can't remember his name now, but it's a Homeric Epics and the Gospel of Mark, but it's most likely based on that and it's just a, a re like mark is so interesting as a storyteller and so clever and creative and he takes so many of these different setups that were seen as kind of the powerful fables of previous civilizations or current civilizations and he twists them around and reappropriates them to make them something that's timeless that's bigger and it's obviously something that uh, had a lot to do with the spawning of the most numerous religion in history so <laughs> 
mean, he he did some work. Anyway, so it's it's that story, it's that's that idea. And for Dostoevsky, it's the demons that have possessed the youth and other Russians who have influence and have turned them into the nihilistic revolutionaries that are going to bring down civilization and bring down Russian culture and society. And a lot of it has to do with atheism as well. But the general story, and I'm not going to go specifically through plot points. Uh, number one, it would take way too long, but number two, because I don't remember... <laughs> The plot especially intricately, so I don't know how much I'd be able to recount, and I don't want to misstate it. But you should be able to get a general enough idea. This is something that I think I'm going to reread at some point, just because it has so many interesting ideas. Although, I do somewhat agree with Hemingway and his criticisms of Dostoevsky when he talks about how in A Movable Feast, he talks about how Dostoevsky has so many important things to say, but he's he's just a horrendous writer. So <laughs> to some degree, I agree with that. There are just so many words, so many words, and they aren't all especially necessary, but arguably Dostoevsky had a lot more important things to say than Hemingway did when it comes to like philosophy, like explicit philosophy and how important that has been as we've gone along the ideas that he's put forth. Uh, he's been definitely verbose about it, but he's had a lot of significant ideas that resonate even today. But it's about a revolutionary group in a provincial Russian town. For some reason, that felt like I was starting a South Park episode. I'm not sure why. It's kind of a satire, or it's kind of a satire, or like an allegory that is exploring the consequences of atheism and nihilism that was developing in Russia around the 1860s. So over time, the town becomes becomes chaotic as the group starts to incite and attempt a revolution. And so, like I said, the demons are the things that are forcing, kind of have possessed uh, the youth and the other people, like the tutors and others, have possessed them into doing these revolutionary and nihilistic things. And it's a Russian novel, so like all Russian novels, it's really tough to follow all the names, but there's like Verhovinsky, he's the tutor, he's living with Miss Stavrogin, who's like a landowner, and her son is... Nikolai Stavrogin, who Verhovinsky tries, he like uses a bunch of the characters in the story to try to create this revolution. And Stavrogin Nikolai, the son, is mostly the protagonist of the story. And some of the commentary I saw about it was about how it's not like other satirical novels of the time, like politically satirical novels of the time. A lot of them, they would just depict the revolutionaries or the nihilists. They just depict them as these horrible people who were self selfish and vain and deceitful in general, so they're just clear villains, so it's like, don't be like these people, but Dostoevsky elevates that idea and portrays these nihilists as people that anybody could become with just the right kind of pushing. So they're real people with moral weaknesses, and that's more significant because it's something that anybody could be seduced by as opposed to it's a binary black-white thing where it's you're either a good guy or you're a bad guy, so don't worry about it, you're the good guy, you know? <laughs> it's, it's like anybody could fall into this nihilist and end up a revolutionary when it comes to Dostoevsky's telling. And, I mean, that's kind of an important... I don't know how many around the same time in the 1870s, I don't know how many writers were really capable of writing real characters in this way, especially characters who are supposed to be the villains. The villains, in not in the sense of the old writers, black and white kind of a thing, but the, these are characters that do bad things, and you're not, you're not supposed to identify with them directly and say, that's who I want to be, that's who I aspire to be. You're supposed to 
see the follies that they engage in and realize that that's not the direction you want to go. So when it comes to storytelling in general, that could have been a, a big development. Here, let's get into some quotes so we can understand this is the writing style, this is the kind of thing that you're going to look at, and these are the ideas that are explored in this book. This is the opening, in undertaking to describe the recent strange incidents in our town to lately wrapped in uneventful obscurity, I find myself forced in absence of literary skill to begin my story rather far back. That is to say, with certain biographical details concerning that talented and highly esteemed gentleman, Stepan Trofimovich Verhovensky. End quote. So this is told, and I wonder if this is kind of the point, because obviously the Gospel of Luke is, it starts out saying, I'm going to lay down an orderly events of what actually happened. So I know what Mark and Matthew did, <laughs> but I'm going to lay down an orderly events based on the evidence, and that's uh, what I'm saying. So I wonder if he's using that motif specifically in here for that reason, because it comes out of the Gospel of Luke. Because this, the person speaking is like a reporter who's just saying, okay, this is what happened. Uh, but it's somebody who's involved as well. So, quote number two. So this, obviously, when it comes to being a precursor to the Russian Revolution, this has some... <laughs> particular significance. The peasant with his axe is coming. Something terrible will happen. Very simple phrase. Quote, my friends, he instructed us, if our nationalism has dawned as they keep repeating in the papers, it's still at school, at some German Peterschule, sitting over a German book and repeating its everlasting German lesson, and its German teacher will make it go down on its knees when he thinks fit. I think highly of the German teacher, but nothing has happened and nothing of this kind has dawned and everything is going in the old way, that is, as ordained by God. To my thinking, that should be enough for Russia, poor notre sans Russie. Besides, all this Slavism and nationalism is too old to be new, end quote. Some ideas about nationalism and the Germans having <laughs> imports in Russia. Quote, then this God does exist according to you. He does not exist, but he is. In the stone there is no pain, but in the fear of the stone is the pain. God is the pain of the fear of death. He who will conquer pain and terror will become himself a God. Then there will be a new life, a new man. Everything will be new. Then they will divide history into two parts, from the gorilla to the annihilation of God, and from the annihilation of God to, to the gorilla? The other person ass, end quote. <laughs> so it's, I mean, that's a really interesting formulation. Of course, Dostoevsky, for him, the atheism that was arising, he had a lot of problems with it. He was concerned about it. And that doesn't necessarily mean that he found, you know, religious arguments convincing or something like that. Obviously, I could be projecting on him, but there was concern about what that would do culturally when you lost that driving force. Quote, there's hatred in it too, he went on after a minute's pause. They'd be the first to be terribly unhappy if Russia could be suddenly reformed, even to suit their own ideas ideas and became extraordinarily prosperous and happy. They'd have no one to hate then, no one to curse, nothing to find fault with. There's nothing in it but an immense animal hatred for Russia, which has eaten into their organism. End quote. So I just thought this was apt for our purposes nowadays. Quote, he counted every morsel of beefsteak that Piotr, that Piotr Stepanovich put into his mouth. He loathed him for the way he opened it, for the way he chewed, for the way he smacked his lips over the fat morsels. He loathed the steak itself. At last things began to swim before his eyes he began to feel slightly giddy. He felt hot and cold run down his spine by turns, end quote. I just thought that anybody who has ever been in a relationship probably felt this at some point, so that's why this quote is important. It's probably got more of a class perspective than individual relationship perspective, but still, I want to do it. And here, quote, about the pigs, and there's two, c'est cochon. I remember the devils entered into swine, they all were drowned. You must read me that. I'll tell you why afterwards. I want to remember it word for word. I want it word for word, end quote. So this is just explicitly plugging that in. What was the inspiration? Plugging that into the book. Quote, it was with the idea of systematically undermining the foundation, systematically destroying
destroying society and all principles, with the idea of nonplussing everyone and making hay of everything, and then when society was tottering, sick and out of joint, cynical and skeptical, though filled with an intense eagerness for self-preservation for some guiding idea, suddenly to seize it in their hands, raising the standard of revolt and relying on a complete network of quintets, which were actively, meanwhile, gathering recruits and seeking out the weak spots which could be attacked, end quote. So this quote specifically about what the revolutionary was trying to do and where they were pushing and how they were trying to affect their ideas, but the kind of sickly nihilism that was underneath it. I wonder how well Nietzsche and Dostoevsky got along. But it's a fascinating read, whatever my disinclination to reread it again for purposes of this, because I'm going in order, you know, I'm going in a line here trying to get to number one from 100, and I've got to get these episodes out, notwithstanding whatever else is going on. It has some very interesting ideas, and Dostoevsky has some very interesting ideas just as a writer and as somebody who has something to say, philosophically or politically, and there's a lot to be learned here. Now, I read Crime and Punishment multiple times when I was a kid. I have not read The Brothers Karamazov, and I'm looking forward to it, but it really is difficult to overstate the importance of Dostoevsky in general. I know just we don't have the time anymore. We've accelerated everything so much that we can't just take a week to sit down and go through a book thoroughly or really pay attention. And generally, I hate doing it because it's a little reductionist to say that, okay, well, what this has significance for today, so therefore that's why it's important. Obviously, it should be important on its own merits as a piece of history or as a piece of literary art, just in the mechanics of it. But still, this does, it seems to me, not in a calling out Jeremiah's kind of thing, but it does to me have import today when it comes to really understanding what culturally happens when you take away the things that motivate human beings. They have to find something. They have to find some meaning somewhere. So, and the less structured the thing is that they're using for that meaning, the more room there is to have all sorts of craziness come out of it. At least something like Christianity, for all its foibles and all its nonsense, it had its moorings in something that was more broad. Same with Judaism, something that was more broadly secured to ethics and morality and, and some kind of punishment for doing something wrong, you know, and that we need to feel some kind of angst existential responsibility for doing the right thing because of what could happen after death. Again, a lot of nonsense, but when people are trying to look for something that's going to give them meaning, and you see that nowadays, and they don't have those moorings, it's not secured in morality in general or anything like that, then they can just go off the deep end and think whatever they want means something else, and call morality whatever they want to call it, and suddenly we have a whole bunch of nonsense in a culture that's committing suicide. So, I think Dostoevsky has a lot of importance when it comes to today and when it comes to just mechanics of writing, although he's way too, he needs an editor. <laughs> And when it comes to history and philosophical importance and politics and what happened in Russia. I mean, so many important things. Anyway, that's what I wanted to say about the demons that possess the devils. Dostoevsky, this is his first entry on the list, right? Is it? I think it's his first entry, but we are moving on to the next one. I think the next one actually is Hemingway, I think. <laughs> Which is funny. I think it's I think it's a farewell to arms. So I remember reading that and enjoying it. I don't know if it hit me on the same level as a number of his other ones, but but I remember enjoying it, so I'm, I'm rereading that, and we'll have that one coming up. Otherwise, I finished a bunch of nonfiction, but I'm trying to reread them to make sure I'm on top of it and I know what I'm talking about, and stop giving myself outs of saying you don't have time for this. Just try to do a really good job no matter what the circumstances, so I'm trying to do that. I'm
I'm trying to really put it together and we'll see what comes out of that. But I hope everybody's having a good week. I hope all is well and I will see you on the next one. Okay, bye. Bye.